Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinus. Makalua. The man team. Mega Bears fan. And welcome to episode 352 of the Polycast. Uh, Makalua as usual, and with me is Canis Albinus. Hello. Mega Bears fan. Where's all the eggnog? Well, yeah, it's like, where's all the rum gone? Because that was what was in the eggnog that was so good. Oh, it's just the day after Christmas. It's just gone. (laughs) And Dan Q keeps haunting us for some reason. This is hindsight. How's the view? Oh, yeah, we are in 2020. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, all the hindsight jokes. Just, just, Just try to get them out of your system now. Oh, boy. I was hoping it wouldn't come to this. Last year, we did say we weren't going to cancel the show, but unfortunately, my health has taken a pretty severe hit over the over the last year. And rather than shut down the entire podcast, we are going to go into a temporary hiatus, probably. Um, I'm not going to go into super detail about what exactly is happening, but the easy way to understand it is my brain is turning to mush and I am losing the ability to think. And that kind of causes a problem when I'm trying to make entertaining content on the internet. So right now, we have a tentative plan to replace me temporarily while things continue, but it is not set in stone yet. We don't know if it's even going to happen. But hopefully, if all goes well, there won't be much of a disruption but it is very possible that this is the last episode for quite a while um anything else i need to say i think you covered it okay oh i guess that means i have to play the next thing doesn't it (laughs) i'm not here or maybe i am and i just don't know it what the It's a little late for Christmas, but we do have a 12 days of Sifmas coming from the Symphonatics forums. And I like that our show notes even said no singing on this topic. Thank you. And then Dan showed up. <laughs> yeah, and then Dan's here. It's like, oh, dear. That was 100% not planned, but it is very funny. <laughs> but it was, Victoria started it and everybody jumped in and there's a lot of it. We get all the way through it. Got all the way through. and Yeah. And it ended perfectly. Yes. There, there was no stumbling over with two people posting at the same time with their, their number. That was the most surprising thing for me. <laughs> yeah, because usually in the forums, if you start to sing along, somebody messes it up midway through. Yeah. And number one, the final one, was an administrator. So, you know, <laughs> they. Uh, I wonder if there wasn't some behind-the-scenes thread or post-deleting. Or closing the thread and then reopening it or something like that. If that's those, something they can even do, I don't know. Yeah, they can do that. I'm pretty sure. They can, yeah. Okay, so the, the listing is 12 gunners gunning, 11 barbs raging, 10 warriors rushing, 9 long ships approaching, 8 cities revolting, 7 civs not winning, 6 huts with goodies, 5 warmongers, 4 stolen wonders, 3 capitals fallen, 2 governor promotions, and an expansion pack in the new year. Well, that would be nice, but we don't know. I uh, have my theories, but... Last year, I think we got the announcement around February, right? For we got the announcement in the at the end of November, or at the beginning of December, one of the two, and oh, it came released, out in February. Released in February, that's right. Yeah. So I don't expect a lot of, uh, what, what would you call it, advance notice? Yeah, they're not obligated to give us any advance notice. They could announce it for tomorrow 
<laughs> for all we know. <laughs> right after we record, and then we sound like sillies again. Yeah. They could do what, what Pokemon did and just put it on sale immediately and then say that everything's coming later. That's apparently been a popular thing in uh, the music industry lately. Lots of artists just dropping albums and not telling anybody. And suddenly it's like, oh, there's a new album from like Beyonce or whoever. I think they're called Stealth Drops? No. Yeah, it's, a, it's a good way to fight uh, leaks, though, for the artists. Because people would leak tracks and half the album would be out and a lot of people might not buy it. So if you just drop it and make everybody buy it first, I mean, it's not going to take long for it leaks onto the internet, but at least you get a bigger initial sales bump. Might also be an attempt to... Oh, shoot. Brain. Might also be an attempt to... I'm going to shut up. I think a lot of it's also self-publishing, and that might have been where Canis was mm. going, uh, where the artist gets more of the money and they're not sharing it with the record label. But anyway, this is supposed to be Civ podcast, not uh, music industry <laughs> podcast. So Music industry slash game industry in general podcast. Yeah, uh, three general comments in response to this thread. Uh, the first one is, if an expansion pack were announced tomorrow, the day after a polycast recording, that would just fit the show's history perfectly, <laughs> as, was kind of, as was kind of already alluded to. Uh, second, there was one time before on the show where we talked about a a Civmas sort of a thing, and that was back in the 2008 Christmas special for Civilization IV, which was a thread from the year before in 2007. And the last thing is, no singing, of course, has been the rule here. And Candice didn't exactly rap, but there are these things called auto-tuners. So don't worry, I I'm on it. I'm going to search for one, and I'm going to get some <laughs> music, a little beatbox going there, and uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be for reals. What have I done? What have you done? Don't encourage Dan to sing. And bonus, by doing that, we will then be early for Christmas this year in 2020 by a fair bit. We will be ahead of everybody else. Dan's going to start the new Christmas uh, tradition song, the 364 Days of Christmas. Oh, now, no. This is, well, this is a leap year, so it could even be 366 days. Oh, yeah. Fan I guess it could fantastic. Be. No, it would be 365 because Christmas doesn't count. Ah, because yeah, the rest of the years would be 364. Christmas, yeah. Christmas. that doesn't count actually fine. that doesn't make sense because it's the days of christmas fine 364 plus days a year how about that well it's just all inclusive it'll be like 99 bottles of beer on the wall but with like christmas tree ornaments or something or stockings over the mantle we've gone off the rails again oh well, that's also part that for the show yeah well that's all yeah. part for the it's all my show. fault Nah, oh, it's it's oh, all our fault. It always goes whoa, off whoa, the rails. whoa, Candace, that's that's giving yourself way too much power. I don't think we can allow that. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> wow, Dan, wow. That's that's this is where we need a soundboard, and I guess just push the button that makes the Civ Force um, uh, revolution sound, where it's hey. just the yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> well, my brain. Well, that one would work too, but that one's more like somebody if they get burned. <laughs> and and hey, we did stay on the topic of music and song, so we did not go as off topic as we usually go. So we were oh, we were topic adjacent. There you go. <laughs> topic adjacent. <laughs> anyway, our next topic is from somebody who I forgot to look up the thing. Let me open that right now. It's called The Struggle is Real, which is an interesting uh, title for what the topic is, by Entroputor. That's how I read it. He says, or she has said, I have been playing Civ Six for a long time, but I can't seem to settle on a particular Civ. And he's trying to, or this person is trying to decide which Civ should be their favorite. And they're kind of um, stuck between... The Mongols, the Cree, the the Brazilians, the English, and the Dutch. Because he says condi conditions skewed, civs aren't as much fun. Geographically skewed civs aren't particularly fun on fractal maps. And they have Rome in there as well. Oh, is Rome in there? Yeah, Victoria and Trajan. Oh, yeah, they're they, both good for lots of cities. That would be the the the. They're the same thing except one is one is water and one is land. I'd throw Phoenicia in there, too, as a city-spamming sieve, uh, but it's a lot more conditional, so maybe not quite what the original poster was. Yeah, thinking. Phoenicia doesn't really have any land power at all. Yeah, it depends on the map. But even if you're on Pangaea, that's still a lot of coastline. Very true. So, 
this kind of devolved into one of those which Civ is the best threads, which is always what happens whenever you talk about things like this. So I decided what is what should what she should do is we should choose our own favorite civs and talk about them. Because apparently okay, I'm shutting up now. And I just want to say on the top that this is one of the reasons why I really wish that um, Braxis would like put in a feature where you could filter out civilizations that you've already played as or already won the game as when selecting random civs. Because sitting there on the game setup screen and scrolling through all the leaders and trying to pick one for my next game is sometimes the hardest part of a game of civs. And then right now, if you hit random, you get into the game, and it might be a really good start and map, and then, oh, I'm this person again, or this person? Ugh. Right, and then to add insult to injury, once you've started the game, I don't think there's any way to see the map seed, so you can't then go back out and play the same map. It might be in the menu. Somewhere in there, I've seen the seed. It's on the game setup screen. I don't think I've ever seen it on like the pause screen or the options menu. I think so. there's a more a more option a more options setup thing in the the pause menu or whatever it's called. I think that all that just shows like mods and expansions you have enabled. I didn't think that included the. Maybe I'm, I could be wrong. I'll I'll check it next time. Maybe it's there. Maybe they added it at some point. I could be wrong too. I like Victoria's comment in the thread where he says, I think it is a credit to Fraxis you are struggling, but perhaps your head says differently. Certainly there is a great variety. And Candice, you had said for us to just you know go ahead and choose our, our favorite civilization. And my favorite, I think, is a very generalist civ for whatever map type you're playing, for whatever victory condition you're going, whatever circumstance you arrive at. And that is Rome. Because if you're starting at the beginning of the game, then you're going to get that monument if it's a later era start. No. Uh, you can get <laughs> that had to be audible you can uh, get the you can get the equivalent of that for something that's going to give you some culture generation and quite frankly i would generalize that even further that whatever era you're looking to start with find a sieve that has a stronger this a cheaper that a unique whatever for that period and that can give you a very good start because after all and i think this will come up in another topic and that's been talked about on the show before, that civilization has this way of snowballing, and you want to be the snowball. You do not want to be a lo- <laughs> somewhere along the hill where you're about to get rolled over by that snowball. Definitely not fun to be run over by a snowball. Especially when it picks up rocks and ice and you know other people. It's just, uh, it just gets really messy. Not that I know anything about that. Uh, you know, I'm just you know saying. Uh-huh. I know it's a very specific denial. That's very suspicious. On purpose. My favorite is Inca, because the mountains become trivial. I think that even came up in the thread, and and someone had said Inca, and then there was a reply about, oh, there's always the inevitable, but what if I don't have any hills? What if I don't have have in the mountains? And it's like, well... mm. Have you seen a gathering storm map? They're there. You just gotta find them. Yeah, it's, It's 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 true. Most of my games, I feel like I have walled off my mountains on at least one side. I actually like it better than when in the old games where mountains were just single uh, tiles, peaks that were just completely unsurrounded. It helps to have actual continent-like chains of mountains. Yeah, I I do, though, think that those whole chains being completely impassable is a bit overboard. They definitely need some kind of like mountain pass terrain feature, something that you can somehow go over. Uh, early in the game, because, yeah, it, it, the, the huge chains do get kind of ridiculous. Other than waiting for a military engineer to have the ability to go through the mountain in the uh, <laughs> later game. Otherwise, oh, by the way, be Inca, and then it's no problem. And I, I think I actually tested it, and you can't, other civs cannot go through the Inca's unique tunnel. Like, I tried uh, sneaking into one of their cities through oh. one of their tunnels, and it did not work, and I was bummed. Well, I mean, oh, yeah, because that totally makes sense. I mean, there's this huge hole in the mountain. It's like, oh, but we didn't build that. I don't know how to walk through that. I don't understand. Well, it's not as funny as uh, back when you could sail battleships across continents through the tunnels. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> I'm Who needs canals? This game isn't about realism. <laughs> What's realism? We all know that there's big lakes underneath the mountains. Yeah, Never I read mind. the Jules Verne book. Never mind that they're actually make lakes of lava. I default to the Maori and to Australia a lot, but then I also don't have a lot of games where I go past the mid, the mid, middle of the game ish. I don't go into late game, and I don't know Australia would still probably be good late game. I don't know if the Maori would be though. Australia is definitely pretty good in the late game. 
Maori kind of drops off as it gets old, gets later in the game, but they're yeah. still pretty good. Yeah, they have, they have the good snowball starts. Yeah, they're very good when we're doing the multiplayer game. And I know we're not going to, I mean, unless something really goes bad, we're probably not going to get into modern era. So then I have plenty of time to <clears throat> go smack whatever AI I'm supposed to with the Toa. But I mean, well, Grim will, but it's not, yeah. all, not all of us. I don't know. I think exactly. the, the Maori actually do have some late game promise. Because if, if I remember correctly, I think when you get near the point where you can replant forests, you can just start chopping all your forests for the yield and then replant them. And I think you still get like the bonus production or whatever for having the forest in the cities, as well as the like culture or whatever from their unique building. So that, uh, that could be a late game, uh, you know, uh, boon for the Maori. The ecologist in me just screamed out in pain. I know, right? It's, it's, it's just, just like, one of those. Oh my weird, gosh. Yeah. It's just one of those weird video game things where, uh, yeah, you, the, game mechanics actually encourage you to do pretty much the exact opposite of what the you know flavor theme of the game was intending just like the civ 4 nuking away enemy population to win the win the diplo victory yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah right doesn't matter that you guys all voted against me you've got 15 people in your cities but at, at least unlike the other civs the uh maori or, or maori i'm not sure how that's supposed to be pronounced uh, actually do have that incentive to replant the forest so at, at least it's you know sustainable chopping i guess sustainable chopping well there is such a thing um yeah as uh as for me i i, I do really like the kree um I, I think i would probably say that my least favorite civilizations in the game are the very militaristic ones and that comes in large part because uh unlike phil who is not here to defend his particular play style today. Uh, I don't play super aggressively. And even in the games when like I go into the game saying, I'm going to be hyper aggressive, you know, like I'm playing as like Montezuma or somebody, I'm going to be hyper aggressive. I'm going to kill everyone. Uh, I just end up not really doing it. I'll like attack one or two sieves and then I fall into turtle and empire building mode. And I, just kind of like oh i i've got a declared friendship i don't i don't really want to backstab them so i end up not getting the most out of the militaristic civs uniques and uh it ends up being wasted so i almost always prefer to have civs that have you know good economic or domestic bonuses especially the ones that apply throughout the entire game so that i never feel like i'm missing on something if the circumstances of the game or the map just don't allow me to use their you know very narrow windowed uniques so to be clear you're aggressive economically you're just not aggressive militaristically but you are also an aggressive player that's my takeaway from what you just said yeah Thank sure I, I like building cities and, <laughs> and districts and, and all that stuff uh you know i i'm i'm like the you know it's one of the reasons that i like civ 6 compared to civ 5 is that civ 5 felt very much like a of just a war game where the cities were basically little more than like watchtowers uh, oh, whereas Civ, yeah, whereas Civ Six, <laughs> especially in vanilla, the expansions definitely made it a lot better. Uh, but in Civ Six, it's a lot more of a builder's game, and uh, I I like that. Even though they could definitely clean up the UI and streamline a lot of things to make the game flow a little bit faster, but uh, I, I like building. I less enjoy the uh, the conquering. Oh, so you wouldn't like a gift of Civilization Revolution then? Oh, oh, all right. Uh, hey, I don't know, maybe. Maybe it'll teach me a thing or two. Uh, you know, after playing Bloodborne, uh, I went back to Demon Souls and Dark Souls and found that I was a lot better at those games because Bloodborne actually taught me how to dodge and parry instead of just stand behind a shield. So, hey, you know, maybe Civ Rev can teach me a thing or two about how to be an aggressive warmonger. That game really needs to come out on, on PC. Yeah, sadly not going to happen. You have to hope for an emulator at some point. I mean, it, I is on, it is on PlayStation Play, but... That would be that would require you to have a PlayStation account. Yeah, you, and it's you, uh, owned by Sony, so it, yeah, don't hold your breath for that one. Mm-hmm. Oh well, we get Elden Ring instead, whatever that means. Yep. There are a lot of old FromSoft games that we really need to have brought to America, but that's a topic for another discussion. Oh, oh, speaking of old, huh? Huh? Segue to the next topic. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, but that would require me to be on the ball. Those 
audio cues are actually really helpful because it lets me remember, oh, crap, this is my topic. I'd better actually bring up the uh, forum thread about it <laughs> so I know what I'm supposed to be talking about. And while Jason does that, I will comment that although Candace was not on the ball, he was ball adjacent. That's the, that's the theme of today's episode, adjacencies. No, the joke was I was on the ball because I had it already p- pasted in the window so it was ready to go. Excellent. Well, it worked out well. So our next topic is, I think, posted by the same user as the previous topic, the Entro Putor. Entro- oh, yes, my so goodness. The irony. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Yeah. I don't think that was intended, but... Uh, no. Hooray, you're the Civ uh, Fanatics Forum poster of the week, Entro Putor. And- Congratulations. Well, seeing as how he just registered his account on the 8th of January and has six posts to his name, and we're highlighting two of them, he's got a pretty good ratio of getting on the show here. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think next week this person will probably be running the show. Who knows? Um, <clears throat> anyway, this post is... <laughs> well, is I thought you were going to say he's going to be... I was going to say he's going to be running Civ Fanatics, but I'm like, whoa, 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 yeah, whoa, no, he's that's, already that's expanding his reach. Yeah, that's, oh, that's what oh. I meant to say, but I, oh, I oh, okay. slipped... Um, oh, anyway, you were answer adjacent. You were answer adjacent. Yeah, I, I know. Okay. Uh, I have right. to just run with it. Uh, anyway, the forum topic here is, are relics worth the effort? And uh, my first comment to that is, well, considering that you get at least some of them for zero effort, because uh, usually the first ones I get come from goodie huts. Uh, yep. Yeah, in that sense, they're usually worth the effort because there was no effort. So. <laughs> um, but in other cases, you do have to invest quite a bit into them. And uh, Entroputer is uh, basically saying that um, his or her favorite sieve is Poland for multiple reasons. But one of those reasons is not the bonuses regarding relics, because uh, as he or she says, considering the amount of planning or sheer luck going into a game, are relics worth chasing after if you're going for something other than a tourism religious victory? And then going on to uh, say that they've tried winning tourism victory using relics and appeal alone, but just can't seem to generate enough relics to make it work. And uh, getting unlucky with Apostle promotions because they're not able to build Mont Saint uh, Michel. Uh, or they do, and there's just not any enemy religious units in sight. So even though you have all the martyr apostles, there's no one to suicide them against because you can't theological combat against cities for some reason so uh yeah this user is asking uh other users who play as other civs or as poland uh, are the relics worth it so what does this panel think i think are relics worth chasing after it it says if you're going for something other than a tourism or religious victory uh i would say the answer to that is no unless you are playing a particular civilization such as the ones that came up in the thread which are Khmer, Poland, and Congo, where they can help you towards those victory conditions. But it's not because of the planning and the luck that goes into the game. And of course, we're not just talking about the, oh, hey, I found a goodie hut, number one. And number two, I was the first into the goodie hut. And third, hey, it gave me a relic. Then the answer is no. I personally, and this will probably be the only time this is mentioned in the entire topic, because everyone else is going to roll their eyes if they haven't already, is when I come across a relic and it's early on enough in the game, that base tourism and or faith, if that's going to help me, for instance, get to a pantheon, then fantastic. What I typically will do after that is I would rather offload it onto an AI if it's a single player game because they will pay a ridiculous amount of money usually for it. And then I just cash that all the way to the bank and then I put that money into whatever else I want to be doing. So I guess I'm an actually I'm an early antiques dealer in the game when it comes down to I didn't catch that. <laughs> He's a dealer in antiquities. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So in that sense, uh, the relics are worth it as, uh, you know, gold farms, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just have to wait for the AI to get to the point where they have a substantial amount of gold. But of course, considering all the bonuses they get, sometimes that happens a lot sooner than you think. Or alternatively, you can also trade it for other great works. So even if you're not going for a relic-specific play, if you do have a sieve that has powers oriented towards uh, great works, then you know maybe you trade your you know apostles' robes or whatever relic you have for you know some fancy painting to theme a museum or something later on in the game. 
And certainly if you're going for a tourism or religious victory, then that would definitely be something you would want to be doing, while all the time cultivating positive diplomatic relationships, so an AI would be interested in doing that. And just as an aside, you may have difficulty doing this in multiplayer. I'm, I'm just going to point that out. I know it's a very important topic, <laughs> a very important consideration to realize that that's not going to be a thing. In a competitive multiplayer thing, you might as well just sell it to the AI and move on. You're not going to get that. If there is any AI to be had to yeah. sell to, of course. <laughs> and I did also post uh, in this thread that um, I'm pretty sure that if you capture a city that has a relic in it, you do get the relic. So uh, you don't necessarily have to invest in apostles and in getting lucky enough to get the martyr promotion and then finding other civs with uh, inquisitors or whatever for you to throw your apostles at. Uh, you could let other civs do all that work and just build military units and then go look for their cities that have relics in them and take those cities by force along with the relic. And now you have a whole butt ton of relics. What I enjoy most about your comment, Jason, other than <laughs> but is the fact that you're talking about people being aggressive and then taking cities and you just acknowledge that you were in fact not that. So I would very much like to be in a game with you where I can go ahead and do that. And then you can just sit and be aggressive economically. And I was just I trying was... to make sure that the, the Phil viewpoint uh, gets presented in in this uh, podcast. Oh, is that what you're trying? Oh, I see. That's what you're trying to accomplish. Oh, okay. Well, why didn't you send me the memo before the show? Why? Why could I have helped looking, you? But, I was looking yes. at the thread, and I was uh, I had a heart attack because it said, oh, hey, it's 3.06 a.m. when you post it. And then I realized, oh, yeah, he's in the West Coast area. Oh, he's on the West Coast. They do things differently on the West no, Coast. You no, know? Pacific time zone, I mean. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, Kmart Elvis in the thread. Wow, came out. Oh my goodness. That's, that's a great uh, username. <laughs> Just for the record. Specifically mentioning uh Congo's unique ability, um, which of course is the plus two food, plus two production, and plus four gold from each relic artifact and sculpture, great work of art, in addition to the usual culture. Uh, and they also receive fifty percent more great writer, artist, musician, and great merchant points. And your palace has slots for five. That's right, five great works which is fantastic. So again, kind of tying back to my initial summary answer, which is, no, I don't think relics are worth chasing after if you're going something other than a tourist or religious victory, unless you happen to be a civilization like Congo, because that can help you, you know, you can adapt that to lots of other things. I mean, that could just be good enough for the culture to progress yourself through the civic tree, for goodness sakes, to get to whatever other civic you want to, to achieve whatever other victory condition it happens to be. And I would probably also just say that if you're playing as any religious uh, sieve uh, where you are building holy sites and you're building temples and, uh, you know, cathedrals or whatever, like if you get them, you know, you might as well keep them. You know, if you have an opportunity to get one, you might as well do it. It's going to be more faith and it's going to be tourism, uh, you know, which is going to be helpful for that religious play anyway. Yeah, like if you're Russia, for example, and you're already going to get that uh, unique holy site and it's discounted, then it is all the more worth your while to consider that as a possible approach to victory. Yeah, you don't necessarily need to, like, devote your entire civilization towards getting relics, but, you know, if you don't have to go out of your way to avoid them either. <laughs> yeah, I, I just went into this goodie hut. I got a relic. Can I, can I put it back? Can I, can, I get, can I get something else instead? Can I exchange? No. Can, no, you may can, not. Can I have faith instead? No, because this isn't Civ five. <laughs> Can I have the Eureka instead? You yeah. could try, if it's single player, you could try reloading the save, but that's that's, that's going to do you no good. <laughs> well, only if you did not have preserve random seed on. Otherwise, you actually have to like wait another turn before entering the goodie hut, and uh, that always opens up the possibility of someone else you know, just popping out of the fog of war and taking it from I've had that happen before. I was about to say, that sounds Ooh. like personal experience. Do we want a little therapy session here on the show, Jason? Do you need to uh, talk about your feelings about that? Sometimes safe scumming backfires horribly. Sounds about right. So what you're saying is you're taking responsibility for your actions. This sounds like personal growth for you. Oh, I thought it was kids don't save scum. <laughs> now, Mackie, how are they also? How are kids going to experience personal growth if they too do not save scum? I mean, <sighs> there's plenty of things outside of Civ for them to experience. I mean, I know that's a controversial whoa. opinion on a podcast all about whoa, Civ. Whoa, 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 whoa! I, I don't think that answer serves our self-interest. So. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll get back to this idea of save scumming in a bit. 
No, we wouldn't be alluding to things we would talk about in another topic on the same show. That sounds like organization, what? and that's that's and, and effort. Oh, effort with a capital E. That's just too much, or not enough. The world is not enough. We need more worlds. Oh wait. <laughs> what we're gonna we're gonna save scum with the Earth? Hey, let's just hop on a time machine. Let's let's try this again. <laughs> Sometimes I think that might not be a bad idea, and then I remember. Oh wait, we don't really want to do that either. <laughs> all that's right my cue, Dan. that's my cue all right all right i was like i i think i'm picking up what's being laid down here uh so from don't tread how do you systematically get better and no you're still listening to a civ podcast we're still talking about the game we're not talking about your real life take it easy 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 uh <laughs> he um, says i have <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like to get up. better as well but <laughs> <laughs> Took a moment there. Thank you. Uh, I have played Civ since uh, Civ 1 came out. Oh, me too. But I have noticed that after 30 years... Uh, yes, Dan, not... it's been 30 years. I know. I had that thought the other day and went, oh, crap. Oh, gosh. Should I post this thread in my sleep? What's going on? Uh, but I've noticed that after 30 years, I'm not really getting better. What are your tips to getting better? I would love to come up with a systematic approach to improving my play. I think there are so many good things in here. Uh, but the one thing that really stood out, and it was part of Lorwyn's comment, which was don't worry about mistakes, which ties in part to the save scumming comment. And Jason, I believe you were uh, in this thread as well about going over the saves, of course, in a single player mode, trying something different, seeing a different result. But it also came up in the thread Agnostes was you don't necessarily have to play the same map, just play with different styles, strategies, tactics, and goals. Try things you've never done before, even if they seem foolhardy, to make efforts to increase your perspectives. And I guess the other general advice I would have about coming with a uh, systematic approach to your play is this is play, this is fun, so find something that is of interest to you, and I actually think you're already on the right path because you asked for advice for what to do and if we're talking about something more game space games play oh that's something else gameplay specifically expand 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 only build relevant districts and skip the rest and that's from elslar he also talks about abuse what you can by chopping and trading i see that abuse that's just having a little bit knowledge of the game mechanics number one and also pay attention to the civilization that you're currently playing. They may have an advantage or, in some respects, a disadvantage to what it is that you're trying to do. And refer to that from the beginning to help yourself get better. Have some variety and give yourself time. Give yourself time. I know Don't Tread would say, but Dan, it's already been 30 years. I know, I know. <laughs> you're you youngin'. Well, to be fair, he was probably youngin' when he started to. <laughs> Yeah, he's probably what, like thirty-five now. So you know, yeah. He's got I started. I started playing Civ three at fifteen, but it had already been out for a while by that point. Was that vanilla Civ three, or did you have some expansions to go with it? It was Civ three complete. It was oh, okay. two thousand four. Oh, there you go. There you go. Oh, speaking of I, youngins, oh. that was about when I started too. It was uh, actually introduced to me by a, a high school history teacher. Woo, go teachers! Actually, <laughs> introduced to the entire class. <laughs> He actually, like, one of his very first lectures was about, like, you know, where cities would get built. And he used the example of Civilization Three and what, you know, you would look for in the game and, uh, you know, how that's similar to real life. You look for water and you look for resources, and that's where you put your cities. I have never yet won a game of Civ Three, So I didn't play very well. Actually, Sorry. my first my first Civ Four game, I was playing on Stutler and I lost Space Race to have top shit. So, <laughs> I, I, I've gone. I'm not exactly. Uh, I've been the whole gamut from really bad to not that bad to a little bit better. Um, I stopped trying to get super good a while ago because I found it was boring. I don't really have a lot of interest in in doing a lot of. Oh look, I see that I could increase my or decrease the number of turns I take to get to the end of the game if I do this. Well. That's not important to me because I would rather enjoy the journey rather than enjoy the destination because the destination is a boring cutscene movie. And I think, you know, systematically getting better, you could interpret that as how do I get more enjoyment out of the game? So getting better could mean how do I 
win a victory condition more frequently, or how do I insert your own goal here, which is going to make you want to continue to play the game and enjoy doing it, and then realize that there is a challenge there. A few years ago, my entire goal with getting better was to not die during the turn cast games. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, and I, I also posted in this thread, and I think, uh, you know, going back to the previous point of save scumming, uh, is uh, my best advice would be to uh, feel free to experiment. So I, um, I have my autosaves set to, like, every two turns. So if something goes awry, uh, I can go back, you know, pretty easily, two, four, six, eight, ten turns, you know, however many, try something different, see if I get a better outcome, and... Uh, you know, sometimes even if uh, I fail, you know, I learned, well, that particular thing was not worth the time and investment and risk going for. So in later games, I don't try to do that. You know, like if I'm trying to build a particular wonder and the, some stupid CPU keeps beating me to it uh, in future games, I'm just like, eh, I'm probably not going to bother trying to get that wonder because the uh, AI seemed to prioritize it so much. <laughs> Two, four, six, eight. What do we appreciate? Safe's coming. Huh? Oh, no. <laughs> he did it. Oh no! I mean, the, the, specifically, the no singing was for that specific topic, Anna. So I found the topic. Oh, uh, thank you, said... thank you, everyone. I'm going to have to write the whole freaking contract, aren't I? Bam, lawyered, <laughs> loopholed. But yeah, especially for someone coming from Civ Five to Civ Six, like Civ Five had a lot of much simpler rules. Civ Six is considerably more complicated, and there's a lot of like little nuances to so many rules that are very easy to miss, especially if you're used to playing Civ Five and you're used to the, the simpler rules. I mean, everything from the way that units move to how zone of control works to the concept of like sieging cities and, you know, when to slot in certain policies and, uh, you know, slot them out. So a lot of times you just got to figure that stuff out through trial and error. You just got to, you know, I'm about to start a war. I save the game. I fight the war, I get my butt kicked, but I learn a lot about how zone of control works. And then I reload at the start of the war, and then I take what I learned, and I apply it, and then I win the war. So, you know, there's a lot of that, too. Uh, you know, trying to figure out, you know, understanding the rules, you know, which seems like it would be an obvious thing. But like I said, there's, there's rules that I still am learning. And, you know, I've been playing the game since launch, and I write strategy guides for the dang game, and I'm on a bi-weekly podcast about the game and i'm still learning rules so there you go they say and the if day it, you stop learning is the day you stop dying or start stop living right or is that what is is it is that what they say or is it that's that's the day you start dying i don't remember something like that oh, yeah yeah something like that and i mean this person is asking for advice and part of the advice in addition to going on to a civ forum is reading blogs like jason and listening to podcasts like this one and finding Let's Plays and finding strategy guides because there are some things that the game just does not document very well, if at all. Not that we're going to get into that tangent, but there it is. Do we need another Use tangent? The... We've had so many. The wiki we have. <laughs> also, and uh, I know Jason was trying to bring the aggressive part of Phil's style to play. Uh, to the podcast on this episode, seeing as how he's not here. I will bring the uh, trolling factor. Uh, Canis, you said that you have yet to win a game of Civ 3, right? Yes. Have you uninstalled the game? I have not installed it on this PC. Well, then you've already won. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. The answer about Civ 3. <laughs> You're welcome, Phil. Game of Civ 3. <laughs> I agree Civ 3 is the worst in the series, but... I do have some semi-fond memories of playing it. But let us say it was the least good. Uh, how's that? <laughs> yes, there's still a lot of other things you would rather not play than play that, play Civ 3, but you, you get the bad things stuck in your head. Like, I got through how many hours of this game and I don't have salt peters, so therefore I can't go forward. I hate you, game. What it was the, kind of... What yeah, were the three I mean, things that Dan said he remembered about um, Civ 3? Button vomit. If you don't have saltpeter, you're screwed, and something else. Colonies. Yes, colonies. That is the one one legacy of Civ 3 that I think should still be embraced in mainline Civ. I mean, I, I think the border the border growth thing is the main legacy. Oh yes, that's still actually in the game, more. yeah. Because yeah, Civ 3 was the first to introduce the concept of Civ borders. 
Oh, where they expanded by culture? Yeah. 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 Uh, other mechanics that I miss from Civ uh, 3 is I miss uh, siege units doing collateral damage to cities. Because, you know, Civ 5 and Civ 6, you can just, like, farm experience with your, like, siege units by just bombing a city and then letting it heal because there is no collateral damage. At least Civ 3 put that, like, little bit of pressure where you wanted to capture the city as efficiently as possible so you still got something that was useful. I actually miss that mechanic. I'm probably in a minority. I know, but I miss it. I thought Civ 4 had bombardment of cities that did that, too, or was that just for units? I think it was, I mean, that was just units just un- and maybe... That was population. units. Yeah. But, like, Civ 3, like, you could actually destroy a wonder, a world wonder, and, uh, you know, that's a that was a pretty huge disincentive to not use your siege weapon more than you absolutely have to. That would be annoying. It would be, but then Civ... Three also had a mechanic to deal with that, which was that after a wonder got destroyed or became obsoleted, because that was something that happened in Civ 3 as well, it would become what that game called a tourist attraction, where it just generated like tourist income for the rest of the game, and the income like compounded for each era after either the wonder was built or after the wonder became obsoleted. I don't remember which. So, you know, if you had a city that had a lot of ancient wonders in it and all those wonders get, you know, destroyed by bombardment or became obsolete, that city would get really rich. So 4 had obsoleting wonders, like the Stonehenge used to obsolete a calendar. That was really smart. But right. um, I don't think Civ 5 had obsoleting wonders, did it? No, and neither did Civ 6. Like, other than, like, the wonders that just give you a one-time, you know, immediate benefit, I guess those are technically obsolete, but they always provide some heat. They're not really obsolete because it's not like they take something away after you're done with them. True. Yeah, the only real obsolete I can think of is... If you start in a later era, then oh, I'm sorry, this is it's not available. If you start in a later era, which this is, world you know. doesn't have a great library because we started in the ancient in the in the medieval era. Yes, which is another reason why late starts are evil, right? Huh? Uh huh. <laughs> uh huh. Evil in air quotes. <laughs> yeah. E V I L. Yeah. The great library is one of the wonders in Civ Six that I keep going for and just can never build. Someone always beats me to it. I think that's the end of that topic. Mm-hmm. Oh, then we have to talk about how to analyze your start location. You gotta have some place to start. But uh, Pier 24 started thread because they needed some advice or tips when analyzing start locations. They started as... Oh, yeah, they started... Like, Teddy, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, Roosevelt, yes. On a fractal map, legendary start with abundant resources. It's got a picture here. It's like, okay, here's all these places. Resource here, resource... Where do I start? That's a nice river. That's a lot of rice. <laughs> That's a lot of fish. And yeah. Crabs. It's a lot of everything. <clears throat> yeah, and, and the thread. A wonder. Yeah, the thread really came down to, in terms of opinions that were expressed, do you settle in place on the deer? Do you settle on the closest rice? And a third distant was, do you settle on that desert hill? And the general consensus was to settle on the closest rice. Although there are merits to all three courses of action. So I don't think there's any wrong answer in this situation. It kind of just depends on what you want to do. Because even the the distant uh, runner-up, which is the settling on the desert, um, upgrades that tile to being, uh, what, two, one tile? Two food, one production? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I mean, you're getting all those yields from all those other tiles anyway. So if you can upgrade that desert tile and make it, you know, um, better that will you know help you later on in the game when you actually are working all the tiles uh it's just not as much of an early benefit and you know most civ players tend to favor getting the early benefits rather than you know late game benefits because uh of the snowballing yeah they want to pack the snowball tight yeah i mean the the settle in place on the deer a couple of people were you know alluding to you know the culture tiles because we've got that Piopatai, the natural wonder and hey there's that additional culture on the other side and as came up in the thread to me that culture tile on the other side of the wonder are really for another city i'm i'm quote unquote from victoria here in the thread and i think he put it best what i also think with regards to why to settle on the closest rice because moving away from the wonder allows more room for you to build districts You've got that rice for you to have a massive city to build up fast to churn out settlers and still grow. You've got you'll have access to the fresh water from the river. And he also talked about the governor Pingala, like having Pingala from the start and just farm the three the three rice for that pop boost. Because Pingala, the governor, like right away, you're going to get that 15% 
increase in science and culture generated by this city, and then your city is going to grow, and then you've already got Pangala. Give yourself that first promotion to Connoisseur. Now you've got plus one culture per turn for each citizen in the city, and then you can get Researcher for plus one science per turn. I know some people might say, Dan, why would you go Connoisseur before the Researcher? And to me, that's just because you're probably going to be able to get Otherwise, science generation, more science generation from adjacency bonuses and buildings in your campus district as compared to getting additional culture. So to max out that culture, which then is going to allow you to push farther along the civics tree and the city is going to grow. So then you're going to get more culture as well and then more science. And you're just going to be able to put yourself, I think, in a slightly anyway better position than settling in, in place on the deer. The other advantage, of course, with settling in place on the deer or the closest rice is you're going to be able to settle that first turn. Whereas on the desert hill, you're going to have to wait a turn in order to do that. Some people argued about the immediacy of having a harbor there. And I would say, well, settling in place on the deer as well, in addition to the closest rice, you would still be able to get a harbor once you got access to the coast. And I think some people also uh, brought up the idea of not even committing until you've actually moved that warrior across the river, because there might be really good stuff on the other side of the river that might actually warrant crossing the river and settling on the rice on the uh, opposing side. That's true. That's true. And that is a, is a good preface to everything that we just said, because that could have changed the dynamic considerably to take the advantage of that. I mean, I think Anastis talked I, about that on the thread. I doubt that there's going to be something good enough to warrant uh, spending another turn because you're going to have to wait a turn to be able to cross the river uh, in order to settle on the other side. So I, in this case, looking at the screenshot, I would doubt there's something on the other side of the river that would make it worth that extra turn. So you're probably safe just settling on the rice that's adjacent to the settler. Uh, but, you know, move the settler across the river or move the uh, warrior across the river. Check it out at the very least. And that's a good idea always. That should always be the first thing you do uh, in any new game of Civ, which is to move your starting warrior to see what is beyond your immediate visibility before committing to settling on a spot. In a subsequent post from uh, Pier24, he said, A, there ended up being a 16-tile desert to southwest of the mountain, and the desert hills also ended up <clears throat> excuse me, having iron. But I think even if you knew that from the start of the game, I would still not talk about wanting to settle on the iron because just again to be able to continue to grow and to settle we talked about expand 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 and another one and if you grow you're going to be able to work that iron tile you're going to be able to mine that iron and you're still going to get that and building a mine on that iron will give you a uh, eureka bonus as well so uh, that will speed along your technological progress a yeah, so instead of getting that Eureka bonus from that tribal village you were hoping, and instead you ended up with a relic, ugh, you can get it by improving the iron. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, I think settling on top of iron uh, does not count as improving it for the purposes of getting the uh, iron-working Eureka. Yes, I mean, you're, you're going to get the iron right away, but you're not going to have yeah, that that particular benefit. It's true. Yeah, so you're going to have to spend twice as long researching iron working, which will delay the amount of time before you can upgrade your warriors to uh, uh, swordsmen, which might delay any you know classical uh, conquests that you might have planned at that point, in, or alternatively weaken you on the defensive if you're being attacked at that point in the game. Now, before possibly the oh, go ahead, Mackie. I was going to say the internet can't see us nodding. <laughs> yeah my my intention or my uh first instinct would be to settle on the desert hill but that's why i'm not as good no i like that too because you still have all the access to all the nice things there with the rice and the deer and all of your you don't have to worry so much about your access to the coast but it does improve that tile and you could even at that point take one of the rice off that you were originally going to settle on and maybe make the city grow a little bit faster and you're still going, still going to grow super fast and you've still got all the uh, forest right there for your early industry. Yeah. I mean, to what Jason was saying earlier, all three of these choices are good choices. It's just a, well, an analysis of what is better slash best based on the information that you have at the start of the game. Yeah. Or the information you've gathered after safe scumming. Well, <laughs> that's not the same thing. 
Oh man, if we're going to talk about save scumming, let's also talk about using save scumming to unlock achievements and how that's totally legit. <laughs> oh wait, we've had so many tangents already on this show. We do not need more. I, I'm remembering this now. Um, related have, to actually... I have <laughs> ahead, used Kenneth. that ta- tactic, but not on a game like Civ. <laughs> was there actually another... Was there another thread that you had as well, Canis, for this episode that also was starting location-based? Yes, and I got rid of it because I realized it was a picture-based thing. Which is hard to do in an audio format. Yeah. Oh, because you thought we, we already had the one topic that was kind of picture-based, and that one was even more picture-based? Yeah, it was basically, is this the worst start you've ever seen? And it was in the ice, on a single ice piece with a mountain blocking any way to go. And there were no resources in sight. So Well, there were fish and, I think, copper. Yeah, there was the fish and the copper. And I guess that we can just kind of maybe generalize that, that if you are in a start where you're surrounded by some tundra and snow, and clearly you're in the south because we can see um, impassable terrain there as well, that thanks to a little thing called the governor, uh, specifically with Liang, and getting the fisheries there, you would be able to grow that city sufficiently enough Plus, you had there was a nice campus spot adjacency there, so you'd be able to get the shipbuilding and find other places to settle, and you you, you would be okay. You'd be okay food wise, you know, and then the mining wise. It would it's okay. It is definitely not the worst start in history. I, no, I think the big uh, complicating factor was that none of the resources that were present were adjacent to where the city would be, so you would have to wait for. Uh, the city to grow uh, a tile or two before you would even have access to the fish or the copper or any of the uh, other resources or productive tiles. So the only tiles that were immediately workable by the city were the, you know, coastal water tiles, which is like what one food, one gold or something like that. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, it would take forever to get to a place where that city is going to be even remotely productive. Uh, on the upside, though, the starting warrior was on the other side of the mountain, so at least that player would be able to explore. I think an even worse start would be if there were two tiles of ice and then a mountain blocking it, and both the settler and the warrior were on one side of the mountain, so you couldn't even explore out beyond your starting location before researching uh, shipbuilding. That'd be awful. That would be a, a quit game, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess in that situation, it would have to be, well, A, you're, you're going to need a granary there very quickly, and you're going to want to be buying those hexes, at least one of those hexes that had the fish on it, so you could get your builder out there and start to improve it. It is, it is definitely going to be a bit of an uphill battle, but it, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting start. It would be an interesting start to try, and it is, it is not the worst. I guess it becomes the worst start in history if you have a very powerful neighbor adjacent to you with some pretty decent land and then it might be the worst start in history just because of the context less about <laughs> the land itself <laughs> yeah especially if uh uh herald of norway i would yeah or, i was about I to know, say Nor- Phoenicia is your immediate yeah. neighbor and they're uh, gonna come at you with a unique uh naval unit uh 20 turns into the game it might be like well i've only got 20 minutes to to play Civ before I have to go do something else. Let's see if I can live long enough to... Uh, <laughs> that, that'll be my victory condition there. There's how I systematically improve my play today. Yeah, and, and you might want to save scum if you uh, get any goody hut that's not gold, because you're probably going to need a lot of early gold just to buy things like your granary and maybe an early unit or two. Yeah, or get a builder out there and uh, improve a mine, even though they're... And, and like the one on the... Copper, for example, because the other advantage, and someone even said, you know what's funny is that in this particular game, you're Nubia. Um, the fact that you are Nubia, though, means that mining-wise, that copper, you would get one more gold for a total of three gold, right? Because you get the two gold from the copper itself. But because you're Nubia, in addition to the mine giving you that, you will also get additional two gold for mine over this luxury resource, which you could then use to start <coughs> buying those hexes to get the fish but of course on the downside of being nubia uh there this player is about as far away from deserts as one could possibly be uh so you're not going to get to use your unique improvement anytime soon if ever because i think the nubian pyramid requires being built on a desert 
I think. It does. It's just like, come on, this is just a cold desert instead of a hot desert. Come on now. Oh, fair. Yeah, uh, in <laughs> fact, I, I think technically uh, tundra and desert, uh, I, I think, have like pretty much the same definition in some cases. It's, uh, you know, desert is defined as a lack of precipitation. It's something like less than two inches a year or something like that. And that, you know, many tundra, must, uh, much of the tundra does, I think, uh, fit that definition as well. And so technically is a frozen desert. Antarctica definitely is. I don't know about the north. I think a lot of Siberia is technically considered a desert by that definition. And, and this is the definition that I learned like back in primary school like 20 years ago. So it could have changed since. I don't know. Uh, but that was the definition that I learned. Definition of desert. Oh, it okay. gave me dessert. <laughs> um, well, frozen dessert is, is I would definitely recommend that. That's <laughs> that's almost a, a go-to for dessert. Yeah. <laughs> it's not showing me anything useful, dang it. The Antarctic uh, Desert and the Arctic Desert are the two largest deserts. So yes, you are correct. And the Antarctic <laughs> Desert is only 500,000 square miles larger. Woohoo! I was factually correct about some things. Everyone sounds surprised. Jason was correct about some... Oh, wait. <gasps> <Wow>. <laughs> <laughs> Jason's like, oh, and this is, and now I'm remembering why I'm happy Dan's no longer a regular on the show. This is why oh. we kicked you off the show, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, that's just that one reason, just that one. It was that. It was powerful. our long con. We set you up with your girlfriend so that you'd marry her and leave the show so that you would stop insulting us. <laughs> <laughs> really, really, my my now wife is in the next room, Jason. We can run that theory by her right now if you'd like. If you think that, that holds up water, yes? No? Probably not. <laughs> oh, prob probably not. Oh, but there is a possibility. Not definitely consider it. not, but probably not. Oh, oh here, here's my wife right now. So, uh, Allison, there was some conversation that the reason that I'm no longer on the show is because they arranged for us to meet online so that I would then leave and then they could take over. True or false? I don't know how much you, uh, uh, people heard that, but uh, apparently this is true. What? Oh, <laughs> I'm factually correct about something again. Yay. Wait, Jason. Wait a minute. Why are you surprised by this? You were the one presenting it as fact. Why are you surprised am, by your fact being a fact? Explain yourself. I'm as surprised as you are. But you do admit that you are surprised. You should not be surprised at all. Just a minute here. Now I, I'm really gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break this language apart right into the ground and grind it up into bits. Oh, literally, no. Mackie and Phil were the ones conspiring, and I had nothing to do with it. Okay, so uh, Candace is innocent, and Phil is not here to defend himself. So that's that's a, that's an interesting tactic. It just sounds like you're spinning your wheels now, sir. It's not even race weekend. <laughs> oh, Jason went silent. He's no longer spinning his wheels. He ran out of gas. Okay. Just to be clear, car racing. <laughs> yes, I, I have run out of witty retorts. So <laughs> you win this round, Dan. What else is new? Wait. Um, and, and when we're saying racing, yes, and racing on a racetrack, we're not talking about racing on roads. That's bad, okay? Yeah, bad that. idea. No hooting around. Who do I have? Crap. It's, J it's Jason. Okay. I thought it was me for a second and I panicked. <laughs> I, I keep forgetting how long I'm supposed to wait. Uh, thank you for listening to Polycast episode 352. I have been one of your regular co-hosts, co Mega Bears fan, along with Canis Albinus. We'll be back soon, I promise. Makalua. We totally don't conspire for things around here. Nope, don't go on tangents either. And former co-host, now recurring guest host, Dan Hugh follow up to something we were talking about earlier if you mouse over the version of the game that you are running you're in game press escape and you mouse over that it will give you technical information about the game including the map and game seed oh awesome that's good Ooh. information thank you now i don't that's have just to yeah taking screenshots of the setup screen every time i start a new game in case i do want to reload that yeah that's just the value i add to this show don't you forget it oh boy so, does that mean you have to pay the value-added tax? <laughs> we don't have one well, of those here, thank goodness. Oh no, but now I've somehow given you the idea. Uh, I'm immune from this, I'm, I'm grandfathered in. Not to say that I'm old, although I guess I kind of technically did yeah, say that. Yeah, you kind of just did, yeah. 
But you know what? It serves my purpose right now, so, uh, yeah. You hear that, you, you whippersnappers? That's right. That's whippersnappers. Okay, old man. Yeah, okay, I'm old lady. Sure, I'm not sure if being grandfathered <laughs> out of paying taxes is a thing. Jason, I, we already know that you're having difficulty establishing fact from fiction, so it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just know, one of those things we'll, we'll work you know, through. I seem to recall a famous saying about taxes being one of the two certainties of life. Yes, and there's always ways to get out of paying those taxes. That's that's part of the quote. I got to call the Canadian Revenue Agency. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> what's the what's the what's the record? What's the bounty for revi- reporting tax fraud to the KC whatever it is? Well, one thousand eight hundred and sixty-seven ducats. Strangely specific. (laughs) And if anyone can figure out why I specifically said 1,867, I will give you an internet cookie. Well, it's the year of confederation, of course. Where's his cookie? Civilization 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6, Sound Clips, Copyright, Take-Two, Interactive. Copyright the polycast at the polycast.net.